It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Access Atlanta. Every week, we share some of the best places to eat, play, and live out loud in the ATL. And, of course, we go behind the scenes and find the stories that show Atlanta is one of a kind. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We've changed the way we do our podcast. That means we're recording it remotely from our homes, but we've also changed what we're talking about in the podcast, since we've always prided ourselves on providing guidance on things to do in and around Atlanta, and because most venues, theaters, and attractions are closed, we're going indoors, and in some cases where it's practical, outdoors to places where it's easy to practice social distancing. Carl Herder is the Atlanta director of the American Institute for Stuttering. The Institute's approach to speech therapy is more holistic as opposed to just teaching techniques, and they offer help to anyone who needs it. Joseph Ferguson spoke with Herder recently about the history of the Institute and about what they're doing in the community, and he's here to introduce that conversation. Welcome, Joseph. Hey, Shane. Thank you very much for, for ha having me on. Um, it was an amazing conversation, I think not just because they're local and they're doing something good in the community, but their approach to therapy, I think, like you said, is much more um, holistic. So it provides you with more tools to be like a, a better person to live with your stutter and not just techniques on how to kind of um, tamp it down, but really how to live with this disfluency. And also how they provide um, service to almost anyone who needs it. It can, um, a lot of health insurance and stuff might not cover speech therapy specifically for stuttering. So it's a really nice um, thing that they do to like provide to anyone who can, who can, uh, who, who qualifies, which is great. Right. So, so yeah, so this is, it's, it's not just for, you know, the chosen few and the people who can afford it or, or people right. insurance. It's, it's for anyone who needs the help. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, um, especially because like if you are like a K through 12 um, kid and maybe, you know, uh, you have um, a speech therapist who doesn't necessarily um, who, who doesn't necessarily um, specialize in stuttering, you can get that kind of individualized special help before it. Like I know, I mean, I talked about this a, a little bit in the podcast. I didn't know how like lucky I was to have my own like one-on-one -on -one time with a speech therapist who had a concentration in stuttering. Well, it isn't, it isn't like a, 
a formal concentration, but that's where she did a lot of her work. Well, that's great. So is there anything else we should know before we uh, go into your conversation with him? Um, be ready. It, this, this, this might not, I, I, I'm aware that it might sound a little trivial to people who don't have this specific disfluency because it's like, well, you just talk, but it is, um, it's, it's their approach to therapy is very life-changing. I don't want to sound too hyperbolic. It helps navigate the world in a much better way. And I think everyone, even if you don't have a stutter, can um, kind of get something from this conversation, even if it's just my physical limitations don't have to limit my dreams. I love it. And, and I love the fact that they, you know, they do this for, for everyone. And it's yeah. just limited to the, the folks who, who can afford it and who have the privilege to, uh, to have that one-on-one with, with someone in a school or an institution or whatever. So that's great. Um, well, uh, thanks so much for bringing us this conversation, Joseph. Absolutely. But thank you for having me. All right. Let's hear from Carl Herter of the American Institute for Stuttering. Carl Herter, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Uh, Carl, now for the people who don't know what you do and um, kind of what you're all about, can you give us like a brief summation of what you're doing and why we're talking today. Sure, sure. So I am a speech language pathologist. And more specifically, I'm a board certified stuttering specialist. And I am the clinic director for the Atlanta office of the American Institute for Stuttering. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But basically, I help people who stutter um, by offering speech therapy. And our office here in Atlanta, it provides us a space to um, offer speech therapy services to people of all ages who stutter. I, that is such a, I mean, well, obviously, for, for obvious reasons, it has a special place in my heart. But I think the service you provide is so important because speech therapy to some can feel like a luxury, but it's like literally the way that we talk to people and it's like the way we kind of like communicate. So I think in your work, what are some of the, um, the hurdles you've experienced to actually get people into speech therapy? And like, what, is that, what, what does that kind of look like from your end? Yeah, it's a really good question because in our country where services like speech therapy are freely available in public schools, um, we face a difficult situation where most speech language pathologists, if you are to anonymously survey them, and there are, there are peer-reviewed published surveys on this topic, they will say that they are that they lack the experience to work with people who stutter, and that they um, are a little bit intimidated even mm-hmm. working with people who stutter. Now, that is not all school school speech therapists. Many do have experience and expertise and have spent the time getting the extra education to make sure they understand stuttering well enough to, to treat people who stutter. But um, our organization exists and, and many like it exist because so many speech pathologists don't feel comfortable working with people who stutter. And so you had asked how we get them into therapy. Um, a lot of uh, folks who reach out to us at the Institute for Stuttering 
often have tried a lot of speech therapy, very often starting in the public schools. Um, and the folks who we see tend to have had difficult, um, sometimes even harmful experiences in stuttering therapy and are looking for something different, something that takes into account the daily life of being a person who stutters. Um, and so it's very common for us to meet people who have tried a lot of different things. Um, and, and we've tried to develop an approach to stuttering therapy that really takes into account the lived experience. I think just to go back to something you said just um, at the beginning, I think it's such an important um, delineation to draw from like other types of disfluencies and stuttering. Because mm. I think when people hear like a speech language pathologist, they think, oh, well, you, you can do all of it. And there are different subsets and stuttering is a particular subset that a lot of speech language pathologists don't particularly feel comfortable with. Um, I know that like, personally, I, even speaking to um, a colleague who stutters, um, personally, I know that my experience in speech class was very markedly different than hers and from a lot of my peers. Like mm -hmm. I, from the first, I think eight years of my schooling, I, had, I met one-on-one -on -one with my speech pathologist like three times a week for like 30 minutes every time. And I can just tell you right now, I would not be the same person without that. And I think kind of speak more to about, for me, it went deeper than just mastering the techniques. You know, I think you can kind of do, you, you can kind of have a rote memorization of the techniques and you can kind of feel when a stutter is approaching, but what is kind of the next component to that that goes deeper than just learning how to get out of a stutter when you feel it? Yeah. Um, well, uh, one, I'll go back to the first part of your question, which is like the different kinds of uh, communication problems that speech mm -hmm. therapists treat, and then um, get into the other part that you were getting at there. And there were, there are a lot of speech and language and communication problems that we are certified to treat. Um, our certifying organization is called the American Speech Language Hearing Association. And our, our certification has a very broad scope of practice and it does include stuttering. And so according to the, the certification that any speech language pathologist has framed on their wall, um, <laughs> stuttering is part of that, um, but so is dysarthria and apraxia and acquired language, uh, language disorders and articulation problems, developmental disabilities, um, uh, voice dis disorders and swallowing disorder. <laughs> all of these things are all part of our scope of practice. And more and more, the field of speech language pathology is moving towards one that's similar to the medical field where folks are actually getting a specialization in something. Mm. Um, school speech pathologists usually are generalists by, by necessity. They need to be able to work with you know, all of the various problems that kids have within their school. Um, and I'm so happy to hear that you had a really positive therapy experience um, as a younger person. Um, in, for a lot of folks, the only thing they're getting in speech therapy historically has been speech techniques. And as you are aware, there's so much more to therapy than teaching speech techniques. 
um, it, we can get into it if you want, but at, at, at the American Institute for Stuttering, we actually rarely teach techniques at all anymore. And that's please, a, please. that's okay. It's it's a newer progression to our field. Yes, yes. Please talk more about that because like you did, my eyes just lit up. Like I think <laughs> <laughs> I think so much of my experience uh, having my uh, my disfluency was feeling really alienated from everyone else because when you break off the lines for literal communication and my handwriting isn't the best so like it's just it's very hard to relate to people and especially when I was first diagnosed um my school initially initially wanted to, to diagnose me with a learning disability as well so when you have those two things compounded on each other it can make you feel very alien so a lot of my um what I worked through with my speech therapist was more therapy in the more like classical sense than it was learning speech techniques. We still did that. And I still know, know how, how to do my bounces and how to like, <laughs> how to get out of a stutter when I feel it or get out of a block when I feel it. But if you could speak more to kind of the progression that you specifically are doing at the American Institute for Stuttering, I would love to hear more about that. Sure, sure. And I, I will say the the philosophy, the therapy is going to be a little bit different depending on the age of a person, mm -hmm. um, what else they might have going on, you know, if they've got some disability or if they've got some um, stuff going on with their their sensory integration and development um, that can play a role in things. If a person has a higher degree of anxiety or depression, yes. things like that can play a big role in the Absolutely. as well. Um, but generally speaking, um, there has been a movement among uh, many stuttering specialists towards teaching physical techniques less. It doesn't mean that we, we don't ever talk about the physical qualities of stuttering and how we can stutter in a different way, how we can modify speech, the physical qualities of speech. Um, but there's this movement away from teaching a very specific set of skills as the focal point of therapy and towards spending time really addressing the nature of stuttering, how to talk about it with your friends and family and teachers, um, how and, and employers, you know, um, how to um, face stuttering and address the fear and the anxiety related to it, the shame that's related to it, any of the negative thoughts and feelings that may be related to it, um, towards a, a version of stuttering and speech that allows for some stuttering, mm -hmm. that it's more, allows you to present in a more authentic, more spontaneous, vulnerable way so that you are spontaneously connecting with people better. And part of the reason for this, away from the physical techniques and towards communication, right, and spontaneous communication, is that both approaches help to improve fluency of speech. One approach is only focused on that and actually takes a person away from their ability to be spontaneous. Mm -hmm. Because when you're focused on physical techniques, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but many people find that when they're trying to bounce in the perfect way or 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 ease out of a block in in just the right way or or ease into a feared word in just the right way they find that they're communicating but they're mostly mentally engaging in the fluency of their speech while they're talking and so there's a lot they're missing in communication and 
in the approach that we're tending to go towards now, we're trying to do a much better job of helping people move towards spontaneity so that they're not thinking so much about the fluency of their speech while they're speaking. It's so speaking doesn't have to feel as much like a performance task. Mm -hmm. I call it doing fluency for people. (laughs) (laughs) Fluency while I talk to you. Right, right. And, and being in the moment, making good eye contact, being a better listener, and allowing for those moments of stuttering to pop up. Um, I, there are, there's, no, there are so many important points I wanna, I wanna hit on because uh, you just said a lot of really important yeah. stuff. I think that like for, for me, especially when, when you said meeting new people, um, there's always this kind of lull period where I might stutter and someone might say something about it. And I mean, because... I think the average person might stutter here and there, but I think that there's this degree of like, they look at me in a different light once they know that it is um, chronic for me. And I think that's a lot of my self-projection. That's a lot of my like shame coming out because it's like, I, pr- I really want to be an effective communicator, like, but there's that level of like, they're going to see me as a stutterer now. That's not just something that I did. And I would hate for it to be like, like a negative part of my identity so working through a lot of that shame has been so um important for me and i think that with the therapy aspect of it it's really really helped um you said something about um the sorry i lost it but the no the um the speech um techniques and when you are going over them in your head it's like I was, I used to say things like three or four times in my head before I actually got them out, but the anticipation was making me so nervous that I ended up stuttering anyway. And, you know, you, you have less authentic communication with people when you do that. Like you're not really in the moment. You're not truly connecting with, you know, whoever you're speaking with because you're constantly doing these, these fluency gymnastics before, before it even comes out. So. Yeah. Um, can I say something on that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, at AIS, we subscribe to this idea that stuttering is paradoxical. Um, and it, because we've met a lot of people who stutter and time and time and time again, we are, we see this play out in different ways for people where, um, you know, stuttering is generally a negative force, right? It's this, this experience that you don't want to happen and, and yeah. it makes sense. And so it, it makes sense that people would develop negative thoughts about it, assumptions about that negative things that could happen. And, and this leads to fear and anxiety and sometimes shame related to stuttering. And you know, the way that this often plays out in that stuttering is, is the way that it is, we, it, it's psychosomatic, right? Mm-hmm. Actually can become worse, the harder you try to keep it from happening, you know? So if, if there's, you know, something coming up that you're sweating over, <laughs> you know, a speaking situation, you know, is coming up and it feels really stressful, you might be fluent all the way up until that situation. And then the stuttering starts right yeah. in, in that situation. Um, and, and we see paradoxes like this a lot where, you know, you're trying really hard to protect yourself from stuttering and keep it from happening. When in reality, you're kind of mentally walking yourself in battle ready to mm-hmm. fight really hard against it. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. so 
therapy very often what we're trying to help people understand is that we want to change that whole dynamic so that you're not preparing yourself for battle there but you're allowing people to hear stuttering in lots of situations um, at least a little bit where you're facing stuttering more regularly and learning to be more open and vulnerable about it mm -hmm. so that when you're in that situation you know it it doesn't feel like you're communication and the person's impression of you will be made or, or broken by whether you stutter or not. Right, right. And, and, and I think you are kind of hitting on a point that took me a long time to, I knew it, but it took me a long time to really um, process. It's like divorcing your self-worth from your fluency. You know, it's like just because I stuttered in this occasion or I was talking to this person and the words came out jumbled doesn't make me less valuable as a person. And I think, and it's, it's dangerous too, because like. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona beach will actually get you there. Beach on plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. We often get praised for being fluent, which is good. And, 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 and you want to be more fluent, but it, it feels like the converse is like, you know, if I, if I am stuttering, then it's bad. So it's kind of like letting, letting the, the, the cards fall where they may, but being more comfortable. And the more comfortable you are, the flu it's almost like the fluency is second fiddle to being comfortable, <laughs> you know? And whenever we get a chance, so at AIS, we often do um, public speaking uh, events or consulting um, events where we're helping to educate other speech pathologists about, you know, how we work with people who stutter. And one of the messages that we try to be very clear on is that we don't give stickers for fluency. Yes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we don't praise people for being fluent. Just like, um, you know, if uh, my child is a fast runner, you know, I'm going to cheer them on in a race and I'm going to encourage their hard work, but I'm not necessarily praising them for being a fast runner. Right. Helping to praise them for working hard, showing up to practice and doing well in a meet, you know, and, and demonstrating some good resilience and grit, right? These are things that, that my child, the runner, can control, yes. right? And so one of the messages that we try to be very clear on is that we don't want to be praising someone for speaking fluently because whether they tried to speak fluently or not stuttering and fluency is something that is very often out of that person's control mm -hmm. so we want to be thoughtful of praising things that are within that person's control you know? there was there, there was there was a long time is when, when i was younger i felt like my stutter was this like looming shadow kind of like over me and it was to the point where like it was hard for me to um like order food when my family went out. I would have my, my parents do it for me or something to that effect, just because it was, just like you said, the pressure was like mounting. Um, something that I found very useful in speech therapy, we, um, we did a, a, um, a recording and my, uh, my speech therapist had me read out loud and reading out loud was like, the bane of my existence you know like i i can read fine i consider i consider myself a very proficient reader but when it comes to doing it out loud sometimes it was terrible especially back in the day but 
she recorded me as I was doing it and we watched it back so she could see, so we could look at some of the, the things I was doing physically to like the, what's happening with my body while I was in a stutter. So I could um, kind of realize that if I'm feeling these things or if something's happening with my body, a stutter is coming up, which doesn't mean, you know, divert to the techniques automatically. It's why am I uncomfortable? What's going on? How can I ease myself? What self-soothing techniques can I do? And then the techniques come afterwards. So it's like, there's a much more like holistic approach to it. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming you guys just do stuff like that. We as- do, but we try to go even deeper than that. So we might do similar oh, yes. activities, but the, but what we try to get at is rather than going right to a calming technique, we might benefit from that at times, but it, but I think what, what we would want to be getting at is what thoughts are going on in your head that are, that are getting, what are thoughts are being activated right now that, um, that may not actually be very rational right. or maybe at, le- at the very least unhelpful. Yeah. Right. So you may, you may find that you're saying something to yourself, like I must, I must not stutter here because if I do, these people will think I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's thoughts like that, that actually lead to the, and, and, and worsen the experience of stuttering where, you know, you walk yourself into some stuttering right? Right. Um, and, and to some more struggle. And, and what we look for is behaviors that are avoidant and tense in the stuttering experience. Right. And so the secondary movements you guys were looking at, and mm-hmm. thinking about why those were happening. It's a wonderful question. And it's what we want to be delving into. What we try to do is look at the, the, not just the physical symptom, but the cognitive piece of it that is triggering the physical symptom, right? So, you know, I, I'm in trouble up here mm-hmm. because of this assumption I'm making. Right. And so what we try to do in therapy, especially with, you know, older school age kids, teens, adults, is we try to evaluate the actual evidence for that. Sometimes we have legit evidence where perhaps you've been poorly treated by some people and you've got maybe a long history of bullying or teasing and and you've got real reason for the body remembering that feeling and reminding here, right? That's a, a whole different experience and sometimes we have to go there in therapy. Um, but often we're actually unearthing thoughts that you don't have good evidence for, right? Um, yeah. That someone will think you're stupid if you stutter, right? That someone won't hire you if you stutter, mm-hmm. that you'll get a bad grade on a public speech if you stutter. Um, for a lot of these things, there might be some evidence for that possibility, but a whole bunch of other evidence that it won't happen. Yeah. Right? And so we, we try to weigh those things kind of with like a, a scientific approach to actually looking at evidence. And, you know, even if, if something is possible that where you might have a negative experience, we try to factor it against what the real evidence tells us and give it less weight in your mind as a result so that you're not focusing so much on this possible negative outcome. Right. I, that is, I, I, I think that like for a majority of my um, experience, a lot of the like really visceral negative reactions I've had to my stutter were when I was younger. But I think as you get older, it's people aren't, aren't as like freaked out by it. There's not, there isn't this like disgusting like bias around it. It's like you can 
you can stutter comfortably and people aren't going to think less of you because of it. And in general, I mean, I can't, you don't, I don't know everyone, but like in general, people are much more understanding than you would think in your head because I mean, you, you're the one who lives with the stutter. Like it every day, you're the one who's trying to combat it and like beat it back and not trying to like let it out. Um, yeah. A question about just um, the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so you said you have an Atlanta office. Can you talk to me about, are there any other offices? I know there's one in New New York expansion mm-hmm. laying on me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So our organization was founded by a woman named Catherine Montgomery in New York City um, about 25 years ago. Um, she started a practice um, that was very focused on fluency <laughs> and was on offering intensive therapy programs. And that was the norm back then. Um, and little by little, she realized that it wasn't helping her clients enough. And so she developed it into something that was more holistic. And um, took the office and converted it into a nonprofit. And um, in about 2006 was when I started at the organization in New York. Um, and um, in 2010, Catherine Montgomery passed away and we went through some transition at that time, still having only one office. But what we've generally tried to keep doing is continue to evolve and grow the, the approach to, to help people um, in the best way we know possible. In, in ways that that um, last. <laughs> yeah. And um, in 2016, I moved to Atlanta and opened the first additional office. So we still have the office in New York City. I opened the, the first additional office here in Atlanta. And just last year, we launched our first, um, or our first office in Minneapolis. So we're up to three offices now. Um, we're also looking at another location. We want to have a fourth office before too long. Um, and we're looking at this as something that we want to expand. Um, we want to expand our impact to as many people as possible, both through physical offices, like the three that we have, as well as through offering services online. And, um, and we've been offering speech therapy, therapy for people who stutter for quite a while online before it was, it was cool, so to speak (laughs) (laughs) during the pandemic, when we started doing everything online, right. uh, You know, we've been using zoom and other platforms for a long time to to offer services that way. Um, As an organization, our goal is to not only provide the top level of specialized speech therapy for stuttering, our, our main mission as an, as a nonprofit is actually to do that in a universally affordable manner so that it's so that regardless of your financial assist your financial situation you can get the assistance that you need to gain access to the therapy so about half of our clients who come to us end up applying for that financial assistance and pay a, you know whatever they can afford basically for their mm-hmm. for their therapy and the reason our founder converted us into a nonprofit was to address this problem where insurance companies were not covering therapy specifically for stuttering. Even when people had policies that included speech therapy as a, as a uh, part of their insurance coverage, very often claims for stuttering therapy were being denied. Um, so we became a nonprofit for that reason. Um, 
And uh, it's, I'll tell you, as a professional, it's a really wonderful organization uh, to work for because I, I get to work with people when they're ready for therapy, not when they can afford it. I, I, lo I love that. I love that. I know that I wholeheartedly would not be the same person I am today without the kind of rigorous one-on-one -on -one therapy that I had in my very, very formative years. Mm. And to think of, to think that like, there's, there are people who have the same exact issue that I have, but cannot get access to that is, 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 it's, it's heartbreaking because you see there's so much potential there and they just need help not only with being more fluent, but actually like grappling with a lot of the other implications that come with not being able to communicate as effectively as you would like to. And that kind of um, help, I mean, you can't put a price tag on it. Like I, I as you can see now, I, I talk for a living. Like, and, and and the the paradox of me having this the stutter is um not lost on me even when i um even when when i shoot videos the the version that goes online might be the seventh or eighth time i've done that take you know what i mean like i and i think it's almost to a point where like i'm sure you could probably tell when when i got out of a stutter or when, when i'm going into or when i'm getting out of one but it's that kind of like attention to detail and the um, the importance of understanding your speech and knowing um, knowing yourself in a in a really cheesy <laughs> you know hallmarky kind of way um, I don't know all that's so important and um, yeah, I, yeah. I, that reminds me of a speech that someone gave at our gala a few years ago we do a big fundraiser in New York City to keep the financial assistance fund <laughs> in shape. <laughs> and um, one, of our pre one of our board members, Nolan Russo, gave a speech and he talked about his experience with stuttering. And he, and he said, at a, as a young person, he learned that words come at a premium. And it's it, what you just said really reminded me of that, of that moment um, yeah. and, and the experience that so many people have, that words come at a premium and it's, it's uh, it's something that people who stutter don't appreciate and take for granted yes. that, you know, they can rehearse a speech a few times or jump right into it. And generally the fluency of their speech is not something that they have to think a lot about. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, it's, you know, when I shoot a video or when I give a speech, if I'm like genuinely uncomfortable, it can just feel like a landmine. Because they could feel like there are words that I'm going to stutter on that I didn't even know was like a stressor word for me. Mm -hmm. Like there was a there was a, a long stretch of time where I couldn't say the, the the word social studies. Like it would just it would trip me up every time. But it was through a lot of the stuff that we're ta talking about. Like I said, I'm not on the other side of it. I stutter every day, but I am better at it, and I'm and I'm better at get, not letting it reflect who I am as a person um so yeah i say that to say the work you do is so important so important um so as we come kind of close um how can people get involved how can people get in contact like what what can they do well um we like i said we offer speech therapy 
that is you know what we spend the lion's share of our time doing um, but we do a fundraiser in new york we'd like to launch our first fundraiser here in atlanta before too long um, if anyone is interested in either receiving therapy themselves or for a child or a loved one, um, they can learn more about our organization at stutteringtreatment.org um, and uh, or email us at any time at atlanta at stutteringtreatment.org. We'd be happy to talk with any folks who are interested in getting involved in some way or receiving services themselves. Um, I'd also like to say that one of the one of the services that we are so honored to be able to provide sometimes is consulting services to local schools, especially the public schools. Um, these are schools where sometimes we need a we need a, a school speech therapist or an administrator to advocate for this as a service. But so many kids who stutter, it's one in a hundred. That's the that's the oh, ratio. Wow. I did About not know one that. in every hundred people stutters worldwide. And that, so there are kids in every single school who stutter and may or may not be getting good help for it. Some of these kids get good grades, so they just don't, don't get identified. And these kids avoid stuttering a lot of the time. You might not even know that they stutter. But um, we, one of the other services that we offer is um, that of, of training school speech therapists, um, doing public speaking engagements, um, and consulting with whole groups of school speech pathologists to talk through the cases that they've got. Um, so that's a that's something else that we've got going on that, that we've been able to do a bit with Gwinnett County and we're working on um, um, some of that work with Fulton County as well. Um, we are available for, you know, uh, everything related to stuttering. <laughs> so we're happy to engage um, if, if you or someone you know that stutters and, um, and you want AIS to be involved, feel free to reach out. We're, we're happy to help ourselves or connect you with another organization uh, that can help. Awesome. Well, I mean, yeah, thank, thank you so much for your time. Like, I really appreciate this. And I think, um, you know, a younger Joseph would have jumped at this opportunity just to like get a better handle on the stutter. So, I mean, yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Back in 2011, when Clint Hart pulled into a gas station in Waco, Texas, a black truck with the word Magnolia embossed on it also pulled in. A few months earlier, a friend had suggested Harp reach out to Chip Gaines before his fixer-upper fame to help him out. Harp hadn't heard back, so he approached Gaines while pumping gas. They had an immediate connection. That random, very fortuitous meeting opened doors for Harp and his wife as they established their own successful design firm, Harp Design, which now has 30 employees. Chip and Joanna Gaines also gave Harp a platform as a carpenter on their hit HGTV show, Fixer Upper, and now he has his own show on the Magnolia Network, available on streaming service Discovery+. Plus. Read more about Harp and his show on Rodney Ho's radio and TV talk blog at AJC.com. In the 1980s, when RuPaul was working the Atlanta gay clubs with fierce determination, being a drag queen was a radical statement, a joyful, in-your-face expression of artistry. In 2021, drag queen culture has become mainstream, at least in some circles, in part because of RuPaul's Emmy-winning Drag Race series. But it's hardly acceptable for a teen in working-class England to declare his desire to become a drag queen. Based on a true story that became a documentary, then a musical, Everybody's Talking About Jamie provides a joyous, if hardly easy, journey for a 16-year-old teen to tap his inner diva and accept and love himself even if not everyone else accepts him, including his father. Read more about this new Amazon Prime show on the radio and TV talk blog at AJC.com. 
Saturday, September 18th will be the 17th Annual Museum Day, a day of free admission to more than 1,000 facilities around the country. Museum Day is a tradition created by the Smithsonian Magazine to encourage communities to take advantage of museums, zoos, and cultural institutions in their neighborhoods. In a statement, the magazine says, it represents a national commitment to access, equity, and inclusion. After a year of limited access due to COVID-19, the day will also serve as a sort of reopening celebration for many facilities. Read more about the event and the participating venues on AJC.com. To get the AJC delivered or to subscribe to the e-paper, go to AJC.com slash subscribe. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Guin. And I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.